Good morning. Um, as the ladies were sharing, two, two things struck me, and they may have struck you as well. Uh, the first is this. I think uh, you've heard me say this quite often. You've heard others up front say this, maybe even your small group leader. But the church does not have a mission. The church is mission, that all of us are sent ones, that we are all missionaries. So the story that they share is your story, right? That all of us, whether we live in Spokane, whether we just came to college for the first time, whether this is our fifth and final, fourth and final year, um, however we want to consider where our role in life is, one of the things that is so clear in the scriptures is that we are called to be missionaries wherever we're located. The other thing that struck me about what, uh, what they shared is this. <clears throat> I don't know if, uh, if as you were listening to them, it just started making your heart like leap inside. But I think far too often we sell God short. Here's what I mean. If we truly believe that the Almighty God that is our Father that loves us deeply says that I am with you and wherever you go I am with you and I am working through you to do whatever it is I'm calling you to do, then I think we should dream a little bigger, don't you? And these stories that we just heard are some big crazy, awesome goals and dreams. And I actually believe they'll become reality. And that's my hope and prayer as we go with them, that they are a part of us that is sent abroad. And uh, it's exciting to hear what you guys are doing, and I'm eager to get reports. <clears throat> I want to just cover a few little pieces of information before we jump into the text. The first one is this. I don't know if Many of you know this fun fact, but New Community is actually 20 years old. Did you guys know that? Yeah, 20 years old. We may look young and limber as an organization. We may look um, <clears throat> fresh, but we're out of our teens. We're now into our 20s. I think another five months or so, and we can go to bars. So it's good. <laughs> this, is, this is good news. Now, I'm not a uh, full historian on uh, the full life of New Community, but I do know this, that uh, over the course of the 20 years, we've had numerous people on staff. We've had people that have uh, joined and then people who have been sent. I mean, uh, from the beginning, it has been said that uh, if you're a part of New Community, you're not always going to be here. Perhaps you'll be sent. Perhaps you're called on to the next thing that everybody eventually goes. Whether it's you go because God decided it was time and he takes you, or whether you go because you got that next assignment, that next calling, that next mission, then you go. And so we've had a lot of people on staff, whether it's Brent, who I think I saw earlier this morning that left staff and started Global Neighborhood that works with refugees in the city, or whether it's uh, Melissa, who right now, I just uh, saw her last night on Facebook again, posted this picture of her in, in Africa just serving, but as a nurse here in Spokane as well. Tommy and Ali are in Kenya. I just talked with them this last week and emailed back and forth. Um, 
David, Steve, Scott, Jeremy, Ryan were all on staff at one point and all planted churches here in Spokane. Uh, Jeff, in fact, the one that just made announcements, we, uh, we hired him to get rid of him, and that's going to happen. It's going to happen in, uh, in October. He'll officially be done, most likely in February. He'll officially start the church plant over in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Um, so, I mean, just some amazing things. But one of the things that um, I think I'm also correct on is that even in this 20 years, over the course of the 20 years, we've only had, I believe, seven elders. So while we've had numerous staff that have come and gone, we've just had a few people who've really committed to serving in that particular role. And um, <clears throat> we have always had the eldership be this long-standing role where you're invested in it until God calls you to the next thing. And uh, so, for example, uh, I think I just saw John. John has been an elder for about... 16 years, believe it or not. Um, Pat Argonchona is uh, an elder. I did not see him here this morning, but he has been an elder for about 14 years. Um, But recently, um, Rob Fairbanks uh, informed me that uh, he's our longest standing elder. He's been here for 20 years. Now you might do the math and go, wait, he was here from the very beginning. Yes. Because he planted the church 20 years ago with his wife, Robbie. And together they have um, guided the church and cared for the church for all of those years. 17 as a lead pastor. And then over the last three, he's served as an elder at the church. And um, they have invested so much time and energy into this place. that It's been their vision to see a community that is a sending community, a community that's launching people out that believes in raising up leadership, that encourages mission, all of those things. Well, he uh, has decided to step down from the role of elder. And I just wanted to inform you that it's uh, really, in many ways, for him, it is an opportunity to say, I need to step away from what I've been and seek that which I'm doing next. And so he and Robbie are just praying over the next several months about what God is calling them into next. But he just wanted to fill you in. A lot of times uh, stuff happens with elders and we're coming and going and uh, same with the staff and you're not always informed of everything uh, as well as perhaps we'd like to and so we just wanted to let you know that that was happening. Uh, One of the things that we're going to do is uh, we, after this service, there's going to be a couple tables set out where I just want to encourage you to write a note of thanks. Whether this is your first time visiting and you have no idea who Rob and Robbie are or whether you've been here uh, for a really long time. I just think in today's society to have someone commit and pour their heart and life into a group of people for 20 years and to lead with integrity and character and wholeness and just in beautiful ways I think is, is worthy of a thank you. And so uh, Robbie is here and, and you may see her uh, out back afterwards, but I just encourage you to to bless them, encourage them, uh, say, say some um, just words of affirmation and encouragement as they seek out what God has next. Let me give you one other update. I was not here last week. Uh, last week I was actually at a wedding. I performed uh, or officiated a wedding in Eureka, Montana. How many of you have been to Eureka, Montana? Like three of you, four of you. That's unbelievable. It's like Canada. 
Um, it, I mean, it is in the middle of nowhere, and, uh, and it's really beautiful. We went to this uh, amazing lake the day before the wedding, and uh, it was just the most aqua-colored lake I'd ever seen, and we played in it and had a great time. But typically, I don't miss a Sunday for weddings, but the reason I bring it up is I missed this particular Sunday because it was someone in our small group, Becca, who got married, and... Um, We say around here a lot, and I want to encourage us to continue to say it, if you have to choose between a Sunday and small group, choose small group. We really believe it's the best way to live out the very calling that we've been given. It is the way that we are, the church, is in groups and sharing life. And so last week we missed. But part of why I also wanted to tell you the story of being gone is because I had one of the most amazing wedding experiences that I've ever had it wasn't necessarily like a great moment for me, but um, it nonetheless happened. And I can look back on it now and, and laugh, but at the time it was, was not funny. Here's what happened. Um, I, we, that morning, got up. It was the day of the wedding. We're hanging out, just enjoying. We went for a little hike. The kids are playing. Uh, I have to be at the lodge where this wedding has taken place at about 4 o'clock. And it's about 15 minutes away, and... Uh, just outside of Eureka, and uh, so <clears throat> I get I get my shower. It's like three o'clock. I'm ready to get my suit on, and uh, I don't typically wear a suit often. Um, basically, anytime I uh, officiate a wedding, uh, that's about the only time. But anyhow, I had my my suit. It was all nice, pressed. It was ready to go. Um, so I go I, to get it on, and I open up my suit coat. And there's no pants. No pants. The pants evidently had fallen out somewhere. And they were not in our lodge. They were not in our car. They weren't there. Now let me remind you again. I'm in Eureka, Montana. I'm an hour before the wedding. It's starting at about 5. And I am pantless. I've got nothing the only thing that I have is a pair of shorts that ha- like aren't even close to the same color as my shirt, my skinny tie, my nice suit coat, and I'm, I'm like done for. I don't know what to do. So I go to the lodge, people that own the lodge, and uh, I, I find the wife and I go, do you, you have a husband? Please, like... <laughs> Does he have pants? Does he wear like? And she's like, uh, he doesn't have dress pants. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! I go, bring anything you have. I mean, just help me out. And so she does. She runs back in these dark black jeans. Was option A. Option B was this pair of super light, almost white khakis. Now, I wear a size 31, 32 at most, and these were like 36, 34s, okay? I'm like, give them to me anyway. I'm going to take them. We'll, we'll go to the, we'll just go. Anyhow, Shannon's texting part of the wedding party. We're just trying, anybody have pants? We need pants. Like, help us, help us out. So finally, we get this text back that uh, the best man who the night before had worn some gray pants Mind you, like eight shades different than the suit coat that I had, but he had wore some gray pants. And so he brings them really quick. We iron them. 
I put them on and they just fall right down. <laughs> so I get my belt. I'm like poking new holes in the belt to try to tighten it. I'm pushing all the fabric to the back. I'm doing like anything I can. I mean, it was, it was the, the most awful experience. I'm standing in the bathroom putting it on as people come. I'm like, we're like 15 minutes before the ceremony. I put everything on. I, I walk out with the groom and I just feel like, oh man. This has got to be the worst. I've like absolutely ruined the wedding, is what I'm thinking. So we go through the whole wedding. I'm like, get this over with quick. I'm cutting parts of the wedding. Like, I'm just, I just feel like, this is, I'm just botching this whole thing. And finally we get done. And afterwards, we're hanging out with the, the mother of the bride. And, and Shannon goes, hey, sorry about the pants thing. And the mom goes, what pants thing? I'm like, no one in Montana even noticed. I don't, I don't know how you couldn't. I'm, I'm waiting for the pictures to come out. I just want to see it myself. It was, it was so hard to believe. But that was, that was my last weekend. The look on my face was of sheer terror when I noticed I had no pants. But I want to share my little story with you. Let you know that this last week was a good one. But uh, we're going to have an odd shift of gears, and we're going to go to the text this morning. And, uh, and here's, here's how I want to start it. I want to start it with a little video, and, uh, and I'll explain the video after you watch it. All right? I'm so excited about being a Jet, so excited about meeting my teammates, and I'm very, very excited. I was really excited about that. All right, I'm excited. I was excited, and that was exciting for me. So I'm excited to be a Jet, and I'm excited to be here. I think the exciting thing, that would be exciting for me. I think it's just exciting, and I'm excited about the opportunity. He was excited. He's excited about working with me. I'm excited about working with him. I'm excited about that opportunity. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited about the opportunity, and I'm excited about my future. How exciting it is. I'm excited to be a Jet. Um, excites me. I'm excited, and that was exciting. He's just excited that I'm here. I'm just excited and I'm excited about this opportunity. It would have been exciting. This is exciting. It's ex- it's exciting for me. Excited about that. You know, I guess they are pretty excited. I'm excited. I'm excited and excited and that's exciting. But I'm excited about being a Jet. Excited about the support that I have here. It'll be exciting to watch. I'm excited about being a Jet. I'm just excited to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Now, now, I know some of you are thinking, what in the world does this have to do with 1 John? Here's, this is how I feel about John when he talks about love. It's like, John, give it a rest. I mean, we are overdoing it on the love here in this book, alright? I mean, if you look with me in chapter 4, we talked about this last week, Tom spoke... Um, It says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is love that God sent His Son among us. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. Beloved, if we so loved God, we have to love one another. You get the idea. It's love, love, love. We get to our passage today. It's love, love, love love and more love. I feel like John is going overboard on love. So this morning, I, as Tim Tebow said, excited to share about love again. 
We're going to look at this passage in 1 John chapter 5. And I, I want to start by, um, by reminding of, us of this. Robert said, Love is a jewel among the graces of the Christian life. We know it and perpetually forget it. I think perhaps the reason why John keeps coming back to this idea is because we're so quick to forget. We're so quick to move on to something else. We're so quick to, to kind of pass over this idea and go, yeah, John, it's, it's love again. We understand. But I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop from the passage we looked at last week before we look at this particular passage. Let me ask you a question uh, kind of to, to get you thinking, if I asked you to define love, what would you say? If I had asked you to define what love is, to give us a definition, to share that definition with someone, what would you say? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. I mean, there's a whole list of things that we could say. Many of you might say that love is a feeling. It is an intense, deep affection for someone. Others of you studying to be theology students would get all theological on us. You'd go, well, it depends on what version of love. Is it agape love? Is it eros love? Is it phileo love? Is it... And you would just start talking about brotherly love and sacrificial love and the list goes on and on. Others would say that love is action. St. Thomas Aquinas said, to will the good of another is what love is. But maybe a question we have to ask ourselves is, how many of us, if we were asked that question to define love, would use one word to define it, and that word would be God? And that's what John does in this passage. John says, God is love. God is love. It's His very essence. It's not just the core of who He is, it's His entirety. That He is love. See, the passage does not say, the passage does not say that God has the capacity to love. The passage does not say that God is loving, or that He has loved, or that He will love. No, the passage says that He is love. It is who He is. It's His very essence. Some would argue that you could take the words in the Scriptures and every time it says the word God, you could replace it with the word love. So if we take a popular, familiar verse, John 3.16, it would go something like this, For love so loved the world, that love gave love's only begotten love that whosoever believes in love shall not die, but have eternal life. That God is love. Brennan Manning defines it this way, If you took the love of all the best mothers and fathers who ever lived, think about that for a moment, all the goodness, kindness, patience, fidelity, tenderness, strength, and love, and united all those virtues in one person, that person would only be a faint shadow of the love and mercy in the heart of God for you and me. Why? Because God 
is love. It's his very essence. One then could argue that every experience of love is an experience of God. Think about that for a moment. Every experience of love is an experience of God. When I go to put my daughter to bed at night with my wife, and right before bed she gives me what we call a squeeze hug, in that moment I've experienced God. When I demonstrate love to a stranger, when I help a friend, when I give generously, even when I exchange a kiss, I've experienced God. Whether I give or receive love, the truth is I experience love, and in doing so, I know or I experience God. That's why John says, He that loves knows God. That God, at His very being, is love. With that as a backdrop, I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 5, if you're not already there. 1 John 5. We're looking at verses 1 through 3 today. 1 John 5, 1 through 3. It says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now John starts off in an interesting way in this particular passage, and he says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, everyone who believes that has been born of God. And then he goes on to say, and everyone who loves God, loves those born of God. John says it a different way in another passage in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, you know you have passed from death to life. You know that you have been born again. You know that you're a child of God. You know that you are a follower. You know you've moved out of a life of death and into a life of life if you love the brothers. He's saying that if you love God, you love others. You demonstrate it by your love. But then he says here in this passage, by this we know, you can see it down here in verse 2, I believe, by this we know that we love the children of God. You would think he would say at this point that you care for them, that you are um, forgiving, that you are gracious, that you practice all of the one another's found in Scripture, that you sacrifice your life, that you have the affection, a deep longing for other people. You would expect him to say all these things, but instead he says, this is how you know you love the children of God. You love God. Brother Lawrence says it this way, loving God And loving one's neighbor is basically the same thing. 
Loving God and loving one's neighbor is basically the same thing. See, in 1 John and throughout the Gospel of John, we see this. We know that we love God by loving others. And then we also see we know we love others by loving God. It's a circle where it's a reciprocal love. That as I fall more in love with God, I fall more in in love with what He loves. And then as I fall in love with what He loves, I fall more in love with Him. And there's this movement that happens where loving God and loving one's neighbor is basically the same thing. Then John goes on to say this, and here's where I want to focus most of our time this morning. He says, and I'm going to summarize what he says in this next section with this phrase. Be intrigued with the light teachings of Jesus. Be intrigued with the light teachings of Jesus. In this passage, he says in verse 3, For this is love for God, or this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Now there's two particular ways to understand this passage in the Greek. The first is a very clear face value translation where we say to love God means that we live in obedience. Or obedience demonstrates with clarity that we actually love God. That's the most simple, the easiest rendering. It's the one that makes the most sense. And yet... Whenever you translate words, you're trying to figure out what word is the most appropriate word for this particular passage. What's interesting is the word that's translated obey in verse three or verse two earlier, and the word translated for obey in most versions in verse three are actually different words. So another way to see the rendering of this particular passage would be to look at two primary Greek words. The first one is the word for obey in verse 3, or the word keep. If you translate it, it most often is translated this way, to keep watch, to watch carefully, to attend to, to be attentive, to be intrigued. The Greek word for commandment in this particular passage is basically what it sounds like. It's commands or teachings or instructions. Now you could read the passage then in the Greek to say this. This is love for God that we keep watch or attend to the teachings of Jesus. This is love for God that we keep watch to the teachings, the instructions of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that carries a different flavor, a different tone. In many ways, it seems invitational. It seems inspiring. It seems where it fascinates a bit. When I read it, when I look at it, when I pay attention to this verse, it it is begging us as followers of Jesus to pay close attention, to hang on the very words of Jesus Christ. The very things he teaches, the very things he communicates, that we're to be like captivated by them, to be attentive, to be intrigued. <clears throat> I think a question perhaps we should ask ourselves is this: Is that 
how we, I, you, respond to the teachings of Jesus. Because I think sometimes we respond to the teachings of Jesus like I respond to my children after a long day. Be a long day, I'm sitting down, maybe I'm working on something, I'm doing something, and one of my kids comes up, and it's like the 50th story of the day. Dad, you got to hear, man, there was this time where this thing happened, and they were doing this, and oh, you'd never believe, and like he said that, and then they went like this, and I'm just, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I'm really feigning listening. I know that's horrible. Shame on me as a father. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that's ever done that. Yes. Christy Shaganer, yes, you are. Glad to be up here alone. Um, but but I, I feign attentiveness. While I kind of want to be attentive, while I kind of want to care about what they care about, there's a period of time, there's this the situation that's going on where I'm more captivated by the thing I'm doing or I'm more engaged with me and myself than with someone else. And I feign attentiveness. I think our society just drains attentiveness to the teachings of Jesus from us. I would argue that our schedules drain our attentiveness to Jesus' teaching. I think our agendas... What do I have to get done? What do I need to accomplish? Drains my attentiveness to the teachings of Jesus. So the opposite is what I like to have happen when I am in a conversation with my wife, Shannon. So let's say I walk into a room, she's busy doing something, working on something, and I'm like, hey, Shannon, can I talk to you about something really quick? And uh, she's like, yeah, that'd be great. And she kind of goes back to doing what she's doing, I start in, and then I'm like, wait, time out. No, can you look at me? I want to know that like, we're talking. I want to know that you're hearing what I'm saying. What am I doing? What am I asking for? I'm asking for attentiveness. Now, she's got the ability to multitask. I don't. You know? But, but I, I just want, I want to know that she's attentive. I want to know that she's concerned. I want to know that she's listening to what we're talking about. I, I want this eagerness to hear. And I think that's what the Scriptures is saying in this particular place. Saying, followers of Jesus, children of God, be attentive to His teaching. Listen. Be captivated. Hang on the very words of Jesus. See, this same idea is found in the Psalms. You hear the psalmist saying that, Blessed is the man who delights in the law and meditates, is attentive to it, mulls it over, continues to think about it, is captivated by it. Psalm 119 is a whole like ode to the law. I mean, it, it says things like, I love your law, I love your teachings, I delight, they drip with honey. I delight in your precepts, your instruction, everything you say I want because it's good. John says part of what we're called to do in this passage is to be captivated by the teachings of Jesus. To be intrigued with what he says. But then he goes on to say something that I think catches us a bit off guard. At least some of us. He says, 
Your commandments or your teachings are not burdensome. They're light. Your commandments, your instructions, your teachings are light. I don't know if you've always felt they were light. I know I haven't always felt them to be light. I think part of that is religious upbringing. I think part of that is the way we look at it. But for me, I think it all comes back to this idea that love has a way of making the commands light. Love has a way of making the teachings light. Let me give you an example. I think love allows us to do crazy things. I think love allows us to to view circumstances in life in an intriguing way. When uh, Shannon and I were dating and uh, through our entire engagement, we lived 12 hours apart. Not the most ideal, but uh, we did that for a little over a year. And uh, during that time, this is like dating myself a little bit, before I could call or text my wife on the cell phone, I had to go to the dorm, grab the phone that stuck to the wall, punch in the numbers, punch in about 90 other numbers because I had a calling card. Those were, those were cool back in the day. You know, I also waited until like 11 at night because the rates changed. You know, some of you have been there. And so I, I would call her late at night and we'd talk. And the times that we would have to spend together were few and far between. But I remember one time there was a group of people driving to like Indiana And this was about 12 hours away to her house. And um, I had like the weekend. And I'm like, I'm doing it. So I jump in the car, drive for 12 hours, get out, stay at her parents' house with her for less than a day to get back in the car and drive straight back for 12 hours to be back when I needed to. It didn't matter what it cost. It didn't matter that I was actually in the car more than I was with her. The point was, love makes you do crazy things. I didn't feel it burdensome at all. It, it was light. I was eager. I was anticipating. I, I couldn't wait to get there. I mean, in fact, in the Old Testament, it tells this interesting story. Jacob is uh, waiting for his wife. We know that he served, what, for seven years. And it says in the text that he served for seven years, but to him it felt but a day. Why? Because love makes things light. Changes your perspective. Shannon's uh, grandmother, uh, I don't talk about her often. She is uh, 82 years old. I think I have a little picture of her. She's the one on the right-hand side. That's Grandma Billman. Grandma Billman is one of like the sweetest kindest, most gentle, caring, just beautiful, beautiful woman. And she uh, is an amazing cook. And she, I mean, the list goes on and on about the qualities of this woman. But what fascinates me the most is when you hear her story. She was married for a very long time. And and several years back, uh, her husband suffered a massive stroke. I mean, the kind of stroke that, uh, that required him to be bound to a wheelchair. He couldn't really get out of bed. He'd move from bed to wheelchair. He lost his ability to speak. Uh, the most he could do was grunt or moan. He had no ability to care for himself at all. 
So for over two years, she would feed him, she would change him, she would read to him, she would sit with him, she'd lay down with him at night, she'd wake him up in the morning, she'd serve him breakfast, she'd find ways to care for him, she'd just sit and read with him. She would sit and have a one-way conversation, essentially, where he would moan every now and then, but she would just pour love into him. If you were to pull her aside and say, Grandma, will you tell us a little bit about your relationship? Tell us about those last two years. I know those last two years had to be so hard. She would go, what are you talking about? If you asked her today, she would say the best two years of their entire marriage were those two years. She fell more in love with him than she ever had before. Now, those were hard years, but they were light. See, love has a crazy way of making things not burdensome. Love has a crazy way of changing what feels like requirement into joy. What feels like burden into lightness. Love changes what you find burdensome. Love changes what you find burdensome. So John is writing in this whole book, and basically, to sum it up, he says, this this is love. Love is crazy. Love is amazing. And the center of it is love is God. And what we're going to do to wrap up our time is to take communion, to to sing a few more songs, to worship God in music and in prayer and in the taking of the bread and the wine. And when we do that, to remind ourselves that this is the greatest demonstration of love, that God is Himself love. That every experience, even the taking of the bread and breaking it, and remembering that it's God's body broken. And even in taking the wine, dipping and putting it into your mouth, that that symbol, that act of love is a very experience of God. Because God is love. And love has a way of making things light. Let's pray.